So welcome back to the Birdie Bug Pod. Episode 16. So we're back for yep. another episode. We managed to keep on schedule, which is much better for us. We are on schedule. Yeah, we? we are. Yeah, that's uh, that's good, because actually we've only been off schedule a couple of times. Yeah, they've sort of been back to back, haven't they? Yeah. So we're back on schedule. We're moving um, swiftly on to the next topic. Oh, I like what you've done there. Because this week, sorry, this episode, well, this week as well. Yeah, this fortnight. This fortnight, we are talking all about Swifts. So it should be a fun one. I like the species-specific episodes. Yeah, I like them too. And actually, again, once you start to do the proper research on the species-specific, you learn so much more about them. Yeah, I, I learned quite a few things, actually, about Swifts. I thought I knew them relatively well, and it turns out that that was wrong. To... And what a fascinating I little know, bird. they're really cool. And actually, that leads me quite nicely. If we go into catch-up, which we'll do now, we'll just do a little catch-up on things that we've been doing. Um coinciding with our swift episode i've been uh, getting a little bit involved it hasn't quite started yet but a little bit involved in my rspb volunteering job um to do some work with swifts which is cool and appropriate uh very appropriate and been uh had a couple of meetings with the conservation officers the rspb conservation officers one of which is uh, responsible for the brighton and hove district uh, which are pioneering a project all about looking after swifts within planning applications and developments but i'll talk about that a bit later when we go on to good organizations and good things to do good positive things so I'll, i'll tell you a bit more about that later on in the episode so apart from that weather's been a bit rubbish it has been pretty grim actually um i have to say i have to mention here i am an old geezer and i have actually had my very first tattoo. At least you're not fretting about it at all, though. Which I am fretting about greatly, because at the moment it's gone a bit flaky, and I'm, I'm paranoid about it, thinking the whole thing's just going to fall off. Yeah, that is exactly how it works. And I've had a, I've had a tattoo, which I never thought I'd do, but I've decided it's very cool for an old geezer to have a tattoo. So I've had a tattoo of a kestrel, a picture that I took um, actually in Welney in Norfolk, and that very image is now tattooed on my arm. And it looks brilliant. Of a kestrel hovering, and I absolutely love it. And now yourself, me, and Mother all have one of your photos tattooed on us, so we are becoming a walking gallery. Yes, which is quite a good way of exhibiting your photographs, <laughs> really, isn't it? You need to put a little copyright sign under them. I need to put a copyright sign under, and also the fact is it's a really good way of exhibiting because you can't get them off. Exactly. So Permanent advertising. Yeah, absolutely. So that's about... I mean, that's quite a big thing, actually, but that's about all I've been up to. What, anything, you've been doing anything good? Nope, not really. Um, not as far as being out and about on wildlife. The only notable mention was I'm 98% confident I, fa- I saw my first lesser spotted woodpecker, which was cool. Uh, I had friends visit and we failed to, which I think I mentioned in the last catch up, we failed to see one. And then I saw one walking to Sainsbury's. Which is which is amazing because they're very hard to see. They're quite scarce. I mean, obviously, they're a red-listed bird. so. But it was very cool. Um, I don't was... think I've ever seen one. We did have a great... We've got a great spotted one that comes occasionally. It's been popping in and out of the garden, which is just lovely to see. But he's really, or she, is really nervous. And you've only got to make some movement. Yeah, all woodpeckers. And, uh, like and, and, and he's gone. So, um, But it's still lovely to see a woodpecker yeah, in the garden. Yeah, it was very cool to see a lesser spotted. Yeah. Um, They're a lot smaller, aren't they? They're tiny. It was mm. even smaller than like a blackbird. It was, I was yeah. shocked at how small it was. And I, I didn't get 
I didn't get to see it for too long, and I couldn't get a photo because I was just on the way to the shops. Yeah. But it was that, apart from that, not really anything relevant has happened. Okay. So I think we can move swiftly on. Let's move <laughs> How swift- many times can I get that into this <laughs> You're going to use that a lot, aren't you? <laughs> on to um, the actual topic. We'll move swiftly on. To, to Swifts? Uh, yeah, to our episode all about Swifts, and what a fascinating little bird this is. I so, think you can tell that both of us got a bit excited learning about them because we've both come with um, many a fact. Too many, actually. Yeah, we'll have to be choosy about which ones we, uh, yeah, we cover. So, do you want to start? You start. Uh, okay, well, I'll start with just like, the general stuff. Yeah. Uh, so they normally... Well, I don't think I've seen any this year, but you tend to see them in the UK uh, sort of late spring and then throughout the summer. Yeah. And most people don't get a great view of them. But if you ever see a black ish shape high up in the sky that looks some, somewhat like an arrow with really pointed wings and a forked tail that will be your swift uh they often get mistaken for or confused with swallows yeah that's that sort of shaped bird yeah they they're are they are there are some quite big differences yeah. between the two but people yeah will, they, they sort of behave them. quite similarly yeah. with the uh, acrobatics um but I'm trying to think of where, which is the best place to start with I know, them. there's so much, isn't there? I didn't realise just how much there is to talk about. I'll start with their scientific name of Apus Apus, yeah. or Apus Apus, yeah. uh, and the fact that they belong to the family Apidae, which is derived from Greek to mean footless, and this is due to the fact they've got very small and sort of weakish legs. Um, and apparently during the Middle Ages, the tradition was to depict them without any feet at all. That, and obviously they they spend so much time in the air I'm, I'm wondering whether that's an evolutionary thing is it yeah i imagine because they so, spend literally spend most of their life 10 months of the year actually in the air on the wing yeah so obviously they, they come they spend their winters in africa and then they migrate here and well not just here they migrate north uh, to breed but on the airborne lifestyle once they leave their nest as a chick in the UK and fly back to their wintering habitat in in Africa from the moment they leave their nest they won't touch the ground until they come back again to have their own nest so they'll fly all the way from the UK back to Africa spend all winter in the air and then fly all the way back to the UK mate in the air and that's ridiculous amount of time without touching the ground pretty much the only time they they land is when they are on the nest. Yep. And that's about the only time that they spend on the ground or on the, you know, actually in contact with the ground. Yeah. So that's eating, sleeping, mating, yeah. Yeah. collecting nest materials. Yeah. That I found everything fascinating. Everything in the air. That was one fact I really did found fascinating is that they even gather their nesting material on the wing. They yeah. don't even come down to the ground. Like a lot of the birds you see picking up grasses and straw and feathers and all sorts, they actually will will get it all on the wing which yeah, i find which amazing and mostly it's they're picking up feathers that are airborne and yeah just things and, caught and in the wind. grasses that are caught on the wind and, and stuff like that which i found it's just amazing yeah, it is incredible um, so yes they, they'll even they even they sleep on the wing which is fascinating and the way they do that uh which it was discovered this is this is a sort of historical fact the first time it was uh really discovered was apparently 1914 to 1918 First World War, a French airman was um, was flying over Germany and cut the engines. And he was flying at 10,000 feet and he cut the engines and suddenly realised as he looked out of the window of this aeroplane that um, he was flying alongside a flock of birds which seemed to be motionless. And when they landed... Um, 
they actually found a dead bird in the engine of this plane and it was a male swift. Hmm. So it was then they thought, are they sleeping on the wings at 10,000 feet? You know, so... But now uh, that turns out to be true. That turns out to be yeah, true. That they're somehow going ten months without sleep. So. so they go up very high in the air and they sleep at ten or well, quite a quite a high distance up in the air. Yeah, so um, which is remarkable. which is also amazing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we mentioned right at the start that they have some similarities to swallows and house martins, that sort of group of birds. Um, but yeah, they are actually not particularly related. Different family. And so their sort of similar acrobatic behaviour is a nice example of convergent evolution, which yeah. is separate lineages evolving similar behaviours uh, as opposed to divergent evolution, yeah. which is like all mammals having five digits but some have flippers. Uh, so that's, been around a long time as well. Yeah. Do you see that fact about, you know, they were they were on the earth just about the same time as the Tyrannosaurus rex died out? That's around 65-odd million about years. About 65 million years ago, and they reckon that they separated from all other birds in that period oh that is interesting yeah. i didn't find that yeah. um what i thought was quite cool is that there is the order apodiforms which is where their uh, family belongs to is the same with the one that contains hummingbirds that's their closest relative yeah. is a hummingbird and i didn't know that either no which, but um, i think when you look at sort of the delicate acrobatics of a hummingbird you can sort of yeah. see it yeah uh but so that they're actually the the closest relatives um the other thing that I learnt, which I feel like is a fact I should have known, but didn't, is the fact they are the fastest birds in level flight. So obviously we all think of the peregrine being the fastest animal, yeah. and it and it is when it's diving. But without the help of gravity, just flying on a level plane, swifts take that gold medal spot. At what I thought was a bit sad was sixty nine miles an hour rather than seventy. I think I can't remember what fact I've, I've seen sixty nine and close to seventy. Yeah, um, but so apparently they top out just below seventy miles an hour. But that is a ridiculous speed when you think that's like a motorway yeah. car. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, now obviously we've mentioned that they feed on the wing, and predominantly that's insects. But another thing that makes up a, a large proportion of their diet is actually spiders, which you would think is an odd uh, dietary choice for a bird that's always in the air. But I can't remember if I mentioned it before on the podcast that small spiders, those that fall in the category of what people call money spiders, yeah. balloon, where they sit on a bit of foliage, let a bit of silk out, yes, and then let they the wind take it, and they get launched. The air, yeah. And swifts actually eat a lot of those. Because, yeah, I mean, spiders fly across the channel. Um, and so, weirdly, you wouldn't think an airborne bird was consuming spiders, but apparently they make up quite a large proportion of their diet. Apparently they also, it says here, they eat more species of animals, small insects and spiders, than any other British bird. I guess given their ridiculous migration, yeah. that sort of thing. And they're spending sense. so much time in the air, I guess. Yeah, they're yeah. going to get a, a big variety. Although they do typically avoid stinging insects, yeah. like bees and And wasps. they're also very long-lived for a bird. Yeah, um, up to 20-odd years. Well, I think the oldest one that they'd recorded, a ringed one that they'd recorded, was 17 years of age. Yeah, which is um, old for a small bird. And apparently it was found dying in 1964, 16 years after it was ringed as an adult. And they reckoned it was likely to be about 18 years old, actually. And it, they calculated that this bird flew in its lifetime about 4 million miles, which about which is the same as flying to the moon and back eight times, apparently. That is <laughs> so, ridiculous. So that it? is incredible. But, I mean, I guess it? if they're migrating sort of around 3,500 miles yeah. twice a year yeah. and you're living for 15, 16, Amazing, 17 years, you're that? racking up a, a lot of miles. I do find these distances that these birds do a bit, a bit like at the moment, these little white throats have come into the 
country. They come in about end of April, beginning of May. And they've just flown, and they're tiny, these little birds, and they've just flown from the southern Sahara. Yeah, it is incredible, isn't all it? The way to, all the way to here just to, to breed, obviously because there's more insects about here, there's more food um, than there is in Africa at this time of year. So that's why they do it. But the the distances that they fly, and they'll do that, say they'll do that twice a year. Yeah. So they and go the, back in October time. The thing I find amazing is, so obviously, yeah, they're they're the swifts in particular. You know, they'll they'll arrive here to breed. The adults will lay a couple of eggs. They got two to three eggs. They hatch after three to four weeks. Yeah. And then after spending only eight weeks in the nest, though those little birds fledge out. And fly to Africa. Yeah, they, fly, they do. They say oh, that almost they their much, first flight. Yeah, they pretty they much the Africa. parents. That's it. Then once they fledge, yeah. and they fly, fly straight back to Africa. How the hell do they know where to go? That's what I yeah. want to know. Which is just you think they'd follow mum back, yeah, you? and think, oh, okay, that's where we got to go. Which is, yeah, it's just incredible. Um, on their migration, uh, they obviously we, we typically talk about the UK population because it's the the one relevant to to yeah. us. But they've been found breeding as far north as Lapland. Um, oh, okay. I and also yeah, reach across good, east to Asia and China. That's good research. I didn't. I didn't get that. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. So they they end up they can go really quite far north. Uh, one thing we haven't touched on, uh, going back slightly to their feeding habits, was another thing I I didn't know about their biology, is that when they're collecting all the insects in the air, they don't necessarily just, they're not swallowing the insects while they uh, while they're collecting them, but they get sort of stored at the back of their throat and sort of create a little ball of insects and hardened oh, okay. saliva yeah. called a bolus. Yeah. Uh, and that can periodically just be eaten for the adult, or that's what they take back to their young in the nest. So oh, okay. it's weird to think that they're flying around and gathering like a little ball of insects in their throat. And I, I can't remember. I think it was uh, they can have something up to like 2,000 insects collected in the back of their throat, which is just... Wow, that's amazing. Which is just a really interesting yeah. evolutionary yeah. trait. I like this one as well, that their eyes are quite deep-seated and they have little movable bristles in front of their eyes, which apparently are used a bit like sunglasses to reduce the glare of the sun. Oh, that is cool. So they, and their eyes are seated back quite quite deep. So um, there's all sorts of... Um, honestly, yeah, we, we could, could go, go on, on for, for, for ages. quite a while. So we'll probably move on to something. Um, talking about how amazing these birds are um, so, yeah so i guess just before we move on to like the threats and stuff the the relevant segue because obviously we we, we could talk about any species we like but we typically pull out ones that need a little bit of help um so that we can talk about what's caused decline and, and what people can do to help uh sort of bring them back yeah or stop the decline the most relevant thing is where they nest uh, yes and so they have a fondness for houses and churches yeah they're they, a real urban bird actually. yeah and they like squeezing through quite a small gap yeah. into like a loft essentially um and they have been added to the red list now as of 2021 they are under serious threat and this is mainly because this is an interesting change for us but normally all of our animals that are under threat we they, i think we normally say the the normal Issues. It's not only farming, climate changes, change, change of land use, practices, all of those things, pesticides, yeah. pollution. Yeah. Whereas for swifts, it's very much to do with people renovating old buildings or knocking them down and yeah. rebuild them entirely. And so they're losing those sort of slightly older roofs that have holes that they can squeeze through and access the loft. Yeah. And so they're it's a bit of a weird habitat to lose because it's a very man-made habitat that is disappearing. Yeah. It's not like cutting down a forest. 
that they are losing that urban nesting. Yeah, that is actually the biggest threat. There are obviously the the, the normal contenders. I think contenders. That's the word. That's the, word. Um, the normal contenders like you know changing climate and actually one of the other things is the big reduction or decline in the insect population yeah. because of course they're feeding on the wing all the time and they 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 invertebrates and insects so yeah I, that's I, another big factor i um, wrote an article on more science quite a while ago called how are the insects faring and it's about how many of the insect populations are struggling yeah and if you look back at times before i was born when you had you know the ladybird or ladybug, ladybird, like plagues, for example, yeah. there was loads of them, or the people have had the locusts or the crickets. There's been times when insects are just too abundant. Yes. And now we're very much at a time where you don't see them hitting your windshield anymore. You yeah. Know? They're, they're just the number of insects sort of in the air. And again, I think... Much lower. Again, I guess that's down to all of those different factors yeah, as well. that we normally Where we're, we're, you know, we're reducing uh, flower meadows and... All of those things where yeah. insects thrive, and of course, where uh, climate change is making a difference. Yeah, well, with the with the climate change impact, is it's not just swifts. This impacts all migrating birds, but swifts are particularly vulnerable uh, because of their habit of feeding exclusively in the air. They're not coming down for any food. Is they sort of have a tendency to follow their food source. So if insects are moving around, obviously insects migrate as well, or if there's hot spells somewhere or springs hit one area uh, earlier than the other, insects emerge at different times and Swiss will very much go where the food is. And so because climate change is increasing extreme weather or it's delaying spring or bringing on all sorts of funny weather patterns, is it's impacting the Swift's migration. They might leave earlier or stop for because they stop off on their way to us at places like France and Portugal they might hang around there for longer which then can impact the breeding habits further down the line if their journey is being altered so it hasn't I actually tried to find a like a good scientific study on on this impact and it's mentioned here and there but it's not something that's really heavily studied it's just sort of speculated that as we see the impact of climate change and weather on insects that's bound to have an impact on the migratory birds as well um so it's not the biggest uh, impact compared to things like the loss of nesting sites but it is still something that going forward could become a bigger problem for them i think you had quite a cool fact about when weather's not so good for for swifts or not so good for food. Well, yeah, that is actually quite good because it, it, it relates to all the, the actual baby birds. Um, they've got a really clever adaptation when food is scarce, uh, mainly due to bad weather, as you were saying. Um, the chicks can actually go cold and torpid, which is kind of a state of suspended animation almost, and they can survive for days without food, and then they regain weight really rapidly once the supplies are coming yeah, in which again. Is so, it's mad how Which that's is evolved. amazing. And most baby birds can't do this. They would just simply die within hours if they didn't have you know, regular food coming in every day. Um, and only one other kind of bird can lose temperature, this temperature control, and become torpid um, each night, and that is the hummingbird. Which makes sense if they're closely related. Which is their closest relative. So, and the whole thing saves energy. So it, it's a fascinating fascinating little fact yeah, about it's swifts one of those typical things that you sort of just wonder how that evolved somewhere along the line yeah a, a chick was able to survive better than the others and therefore that genetics got passed down but it's just yeah, pot it luck really the fact that they managed to manage to evolve an ability to handle poor food availability and odd that it's only really evolved in one group of birds yeah because it's a very useful it thing is, yeah so, um, um but like i say we could carry on <laughs> there are so many other 
uh, facts about swifts. For example, they they uh, use their saliva for building their nests. Yeah, um, which is I mean that ties into the weird bolus. They've obviously got quite interesting saliva. Yeah, and it sadly the the downside of that is that 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 is used um, to make bird's nest soup in china apparently yeah i found that apparently and we've gone off the the threats we're back onto facts yeah uh that the black nest swiftlet which is a type of swift um as well as the edible nest swiftlet yeah. uh or swiftlet swiftlet uh have actually seen quite a large decline because of this yeah uh, bird's nest soup yeah yeah and as always as with all animal odd animal ingredients uh Apparently, it's an aphrodisiac. Is it now? But it's the same as it's, it's always an aphrodisiac. <laughs> it always seems to be, doesn't it? Um, but as as the saying goes, sex sells, doesn't it? So, what better way of trying to sell your soup yeah. than by claiming an aphrodisiac yeah. property? Yeah, um, anyway, I, I, I think that might be enough facts, really. Yeah, so. on, obviously, we've mentioned the loss, we've sort of covered the threats already being the loss of nesting sites, but to put a number on it is that for the UK population, they've suffered a decline of more than 50%. Yeah. Uh, in quite a short period it's of time. It's in the last decade, Yeah, actually. I've got 1995 to 2015, yeah. so the last 20 years yeah. have seen an over-half uh, population decline. So it's yeah. quite a concerning drop. Um, so in you know comparison to our previous episodes, we don't need to go too much into threats, and we can go almost straight on to the nicer side of things that we can do and that things are that are being done. Yeah, we we'll do that. Can out. I just do one thing? It's quite funny this because I, as you know, I always like to do a bit of folklore. Oh yeah, we haven't had Steve's folklore. Steve's section. folklore. There isn't masses actually, but I think I've already mentioned the fact that they were known as the Devil's Bird because they thought they hibernated in mud and they had no legs, and that they were the screaming souls of dead people departing to hell because the the swift does scream yeah quite, and it's very very noisy it's bird. when they come call. in with the uh, flocks of them when they come in at the end of april beginning of may it's a very uh noticeable sound but what was funny is i put in swift folklore not knowing that taylor swift had done an album called folklore oh. <laughs> so i just got i got a whole google page of taylor swift's album. all about taylor swift's album called folklore so i thought that was quite funny um what else did I have? The swift is also seen as a as a weather indicator. I've got down here weather cock, but I didn't want to say that. But it's a weather cock, you know, like a weather yeah, vane. Because they always had a big chicken on top of them, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, because apparently, if they feed high up in the air, then the weather is going to be settled and fair, hmm. and low down when rain when rain is approaching, so that they will feed low down yeah no and it's going to rain also back on facts if when, when the weather's not so good apparently they feed more over water yes which is yeah. quite cool so um but i think again the most persistent myth of all is that swifts are closely related to swallows and martins and actually they're not at all yeah um but we have mentioned that as well so i didn't find tons of folklore there's been quite a few mentions of swifts in poetry and and um, music, although Taylor Swift didn't sing about Swift, which is a bit disappointing that she hasn't got a Swift done. song. I might have to have a word with her. Yeah. So next time, can you do a Swift album? Um, anyway, so we could crack on now to uh, how we can help. Yeah. Um, and I think again, we've already touched on that. The biggest way that we can all help, and it's a really easy thing to do, is just to put a Swift brick on. Oh, your we house. haven't mentioned what a Swift brick is yet. 
No, do you want to talk about Swift Bricks? Well, I think you're more involved in them, so I think yeah. you're better. I mean, there are there are lots now. Actually, there are lots of designs of Swift Bricks. Um, ones that are have been designed for a new development, so they're actually incorporated actually in the build of the house. And again, I'll talk about that a little bit more when we mention um, some of the organisations that are working hard uh, for Swifts. Um, it's basically. I mean, they can be wooden boxes, but they can also be bricks with a with a quite a small slit in them. Yeah, they do like it's um, almost it's a bit like a bat box. It's almost like a bat box, and it's got quite a, a small slit in, so that predators, because one of the biggest predators for uh, swift chicks are starlings, and starlings can get through the gaps. But um, swift bricks are easy to locate now. You can go and if you RSPB, I think, actually do their own swift brick, which you can buy and install on the outside of your house. They have to be installed really uh, higher than five meters uh, on your building and most of them most houses are higher than that anyway yeah. at the top um and also not in a south facing aspect because the the, the it gets too, gets hot. too hot so yeah. north or west or east facing aspect is absolutely ideal yeah, and as long as it's sort of just out of direct sunlight it's yeah. basically the absolutely go-to. ideal and it's a really really easy thing to do and there are say numerous designs rspb do one um and actually, this year, I wish I'd put them up on my house. I'm definitely going to do them next year. Do them, put a, a swift brick on your house uh, well before April. They don't tend to come in until the end of April. And um, you may get swifts nesting in your house, and they yeah. don't do any damage. They, they, you know, it's not something that's going to impact it's your not house a pest at all. Or anything like that. Um, and it's a, it is the best most effective way that we can help swift population because they like the urban environment um they nest absolutely exclusively or pretty much exclusively in the urban environment so stick a swift box and what's also a swift brick on your house is they do have a tendency to return to the same nest they do so yeah if once you've got them you're probably going to have them coming back to you yeah and an important thing you can do or you to combine with this um this is something you can do if you don't have a swift brick uh but just in general the rspv have a swift mapper so essentially they want to just keep an eye on the population so if you've you know if you've got one nesting you're going to see them more frequently but it's they do ask for you to log the the locations of a nesting swift not just the ones up that you see miles in the sky because it's a really good app they might be out there looking for food so if you do end up getting them nesting or you see any nesting, it, all you have to do is Google RSPB Swift Mapper. Yeah. And you can find it. And it's a really useful thing. It's We've really spoken good... so much about the data science yeah. um, from uh, citizen scientists. Yeah. And so it's one of those really easy things you can do to help monitor Yeah, actually, this is one of the, one of the parts of the, the work that we're doing, or I'm doing as a volunteer with the RSPB, and I'm using Swift Mapper um, to, to monitor and look at, in my local area, uh, swift sightings and uh, data and um, it's a great it's a great app because you can see you can really dial into the map to see where swifts are being uh, spotted nesting so um, aside from anything else it's a really interesting thing to have a look yeah. in your local area to see what population of swifts there are um, and yeah like i say the easiest way is just stick a swift box swift well, brick essentially not the easiest way because the the easiest thing you can do, I think, 
is make an insect-friendly garden. And well, there is yeah, that. Yeah. If, you, if you want lots of detail on how to make an insect-friendly garden, our very, very first episode was all about how to rewild your garden. But, for example, we're in the month of May, yeah. and so that's normally called No Mow May, and yeah. it encourages people to leave at least a section, if not all of your and grass. And the local councils yeah. doing the grass verges. But and just, it was really effective last year, apparently. Yeah, it was just, really good. In general, uh, if you have a garden that is more insect-friendly, so it's nectar-rich plants, it's got longer grass... Uh, variety of different foliage habitats a pond whatever uh we've already spoken about the fact that the decline in insects is a leading factor in swift decline and so anything that can especially you know springtime when they're going to be wanting to gather food for their young and and everything like that and also they got stock up on food themselves if they're going to be mating and all that sort of stuff it's a really good time to make sure that we're looking after our insect population and obviously that benefits all sorts not just swifts um but it's a very low effort thing to not cut your grass. Definitely. I mean, that is a, we, we, I say, we've talked about that on yeah, many I think occasions. We, we mentioned it, obviously, um, fittingly in the garden episode, but there are 30 million gardeners yeah. in the UK. And so if, you all, if everybody thinks, oh, their little patch of land doesn't do a lot, when you combine that with the other, however well the the 30 million it it adds up to a huge amount of land and so if all of that contains good yeah habitat yeah again it it sort of just joins up and and the accumulative effect of a wilder garden yeah and actually i can i can absolutely um say that that is a brilliant thing i've got a really small garden my garden's only tiny and i left my lawn to go long and left areas of this little garden wild and i had so many more insects in and birds coming in because there were more insects in the garden and it really did work and this is just a tiny little patch of land yeah and i mean I, i've noticed it the road that i live on at the moment and i'm hoping they don't get cut the verges are not insanely long but they're, they're not they're not like a cut grass or a cut lawn and you're starting to see you know the daffodils and yeah bits of uh just wildflowers in, in general and not only have i seen a variety of bees but i've seen lots of blackbirds and yeah starling sort of rustling around for nesting materials and food and stuff so even that's becoming quite a nice habitat so yeah. i am gonna see if i can contact eastley council and make sure they don't decimate it during yeah spring. but you'll find you'll find with your lawn if you just leave it to go long you'll get dandelions and daisies and the clovers coming through and the bees not daffodils you i think you might have meant no, i did mean dandelions and and clovers coming through your lawn you'll be absolutely amazed at what comes up in your lawn if you just leave it to do its own thing uh, that will attract all sorts of yeah, uh, very low effort way to help not just yeah. the swifts but swifts yeah. and all other birds absolutely um, and um, things like the house sparrows which are also under threat things, so many of our birds are so many um, because so, we've reduced hedgerows and all of those things yeah. that we've talked about many times so, so you can go back and listen to the episode that was before we got our fancy mics um yeah <laughs> yes it was yeah, the it? other thing uh, and I know we're going to move on to organisation specifically, and I know you've got a couple of, of examples, but on the SWIFT mapper, the RSPB also have SWIFT surveys, yeah. and you can actually log SWIFT sighting stuff all year round, not yeah. just for nesting stuff. So, again, it's just a way of making sure we're aware of the population, where they are, keeping an eye on numbers and, and things like that. So it's a very, again, if you want to go a little bit further and sort of get into, it's not it's not so far as, let's say, getting into citizen science, but sort of adding to the data it's so important as well the data i can't i can't emphasize how important the data is and even on even on a small level um to, to log that data is so, valuable. is so invaluable to these organizations that are trying to help 
birds and all wildlife actually that's so threatened so um and it, and it's and it's a joy to do so uh, yeah it's quite a fun way to get yeah, involved really, really isn't is. it yeah and it's an easy way to get involved well so. talking of organizations and i think you had a cool thing from brighton didn't you so yeah well again i'm doing work um with the rspb and we we i work on something called the uh, planning network for nature and i'm working in the sussex one and there's one in kent so there's a kent uh, planning network for nature and a sussex planning uh, network for nature the first thing i would say to everybody if they can just log on and we'll put the links at the end on the episode you anyone can log in and join as a member of those networks and keep an eye on all of the things that are going on in your local area as far as uh, planning and development and threats to green space and wildlife and we're, we're trying to build up more and more data and information and articles and it's growing really quickly. So anyone could go and join, and I really would recommend you do it. In fact, I'm asking you to do it because we're trying to build that network. And these, this is a sort of pilot um, project. And if it if it works and people get engaged, uh, then they're going to roll it across all the counties in the country. And it's really important because it's all about the the development, a uh, planning development uh, that are threatening threatening our local wildlife so if you're if you care about your local environment log on to those networks uh join those networks as members you can you can uh converse you can put uh, inquire you can ask questions you can put articles up yourself that are interesting about things that you know about that are going on in your local area put an article on there um it, it's a really good thing and that's what i'm trying to work on at the moment um, and we're doing. We've done articles on there all about Swifts, and um, one of the things that we've highlighted is Brighton and Hove Council, um, who are again are, are pioneering this uh, a project to try and save Swifts. And what they've done is they've introduced a planning regulation for all new developments, commercial or residential, um, and all new developments now in the city. Uh, that are five meters or greater in height will have to have swift boxes and swift bricks. Which yes, is a brilliant, um, brilliant thing. To which bring is in. absolutely a brilliant thing to do. So, um, and and it's going really well. So, we're trying to use Brighton and Hove. And again, if you go onto the uh, Sussex Planning Network for Nature, you can f- see that article and you can click on all of the information about um, what Brighton and Hove are doing and how effective it is. Um, so there's some really good information on this. So Brighton and Hove are fantastic. And in fact, in one of the meetings that I had on the work that we're doing, uh, we met the guy, uh, the RSPB conservation officer that's responsible um, in Brighton and Hove for that uh, project. And I've never met so anybody so enthusiastic about a species as he is about Swifts. He was brilliant. Yeah, so what you need, so you need passionate people with a niche passion. It was so inspiring to listen to him and to listen to the good news that uh, since they've implemented these regulations in Brighton, just how effective that's been and how many more Swift, uh, how the Swift population in Brighton has, has, is growing year on year, and it's a brilliant thing. So. Yeah, please go and join those networks. It's a it's a great thing to get involved in, um, and there are other there are lots of uh, there's Swift Conservation, the um, Wildlife Trust as always the, Trust. the normal the normal bunch the BTO the yeah. Wildlife Trust RSPB Swift they're all doing stuff. The um, there's another one called Action for Swifts. Um, that's a fantastic resource on Action for Swifts. Uh, 
on Action for Swift's website. And what you'll also find, which is a really good thing, and you can find it, I think, I think you might be able to find that on Swift Mapper as well. Um, there are lots of local Swift groups. Yeah. Um, again, it's a bit you'll, like, you'll find the butterfly conservation yeah. groups and all of you'll those things. You'll find the local, local toad patrols yeah, and reptile groups. That you get um, local and that's patrols. another bit of work that I'm meant to be doing is looking at my local Swift groups and contacting them and trying to get them involved in the uh, planning network for nature um, and joining as members and adding articles and comments. And, and um, yeah, so, so those are the really the the, the big ones yes. that are doing as all all, this we work. normally have our, our normal bunch of the wildlife trust btr yeah. and then you have your little niche yeah. groups like swift conservation yeah. and action for swifts and stuff and so, it's really good actually as one of the guys that's on our team in this volunteer team um he's heavily involved in um swift conservation in these local swift groups and he's a he's, he's a mine of really good information um of doing it on a local level and people getting together to to try and put pressure on local councils to obviously to, to implement this regulation well, we see so many new builds and stuff going up if, if they all end up with a swift box it's, that's a really yeah. really it's again it's a very minor effort yeah. thing yeah. to do it's just put a swift brick in but if that becomes yeah. a piece of legislation we we always you know we, we sometimes complain about the amount of new developments but that would be a small silver yeah. lining yeah and actually if you're a, if you are a builder and or a developer out there then um actually implementing a a, a a sort of um a, not a law but a regulation that you're going to put swift bricks in all of your nice bit of marketing buildings. a great bit of marketing i've got a really good friend of mine who is a builder and a developer and he puts you know builds little four or five house developments and uh i've already talked to him about doing it and he was ultra keen to do it um and we'll put an article about him when we've done it I've got to go and see him next week. Actually, when when he's uh, started on that little project, um, then then we'll put an article up about his his company doing it. It's a good news story for everyone. Yeah, so, lots of people nowadays. I mean, obviously, I put myself in this bracket. Uh, look for whether it's whether they're looking at a builder or whatever it is they're buying. You look for a, an eco friendly spin on it, definitely, if you can. Yeah, and so it's a it's a nice way to appeal to that desire that people have to help wildlife especially following things like wild isles documentary and stuff lots of people have a renewed interest Absolutely. in looking after our wildlife so from a certainly not selfish point of view but from a, a point of view where it benefits you and not just the wildlife it's a yeah. nice way of promoting your business yeah but doing an eco-friendly build yeah yeah, absolutely. Without and doing too much, it's just you just put in swift. Yeah, in. to say it's a good news story, and yeah, um, you know, we don't want to be cynical about the marketing. Only doing it for good marketing, we're doing it. For, no, it's one of those just a win-win. Yeah. yeah, a win-win situation, and it's an easy thing to I think implement. The point with being is often people look at a lot of eco-friendly things are almost like a sacrifice. You, know, yeah. you have to give something up, yeah. or you have to change something or it's about cost your behavior you extra yeah. or whatever yeah. this is one of those where it's, it is actually a mutual yeah. benefit you get a bit of marketing yeah. and helping the swift so it's yeah. sort of a nice nice balance yeah. rather than telling people you've got to give something up yeah definitely so um so yeah so as ever there are these really fantastic places um organizations working hard uh, working really hard to protect um, the swift and and at the moment having good news stories like the brighton and hove one you know it's really uh it's yeah it's, it's nice we really we often get stuck in the doom and gloom so it's yeah. nice when we get good news stories yeah. as well so i i don't know if you've got any other organizations that are no, I doing think that i think I we've think covered, covered that haven't we yeah um so i think we may be done actually 
That might um, be a bit of a swift episode. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's pretty much normal. How many swift puns can I get in? Uh, uh, well, I don't think just... we've been that swift, actually. Oh, OK, well, that's, that's <laughs> typical of us. Then, we, could have, we could have gone on and on and on Yeah. Um, about all these lovely facts about... But, uh, it's definitely an episode I've really enjoyed researching because I've learned quite a bit, I think, as people will realise because we've given out all sorts of random facts that we, I think we were quite excited about. Yeah. Um, so hopefully other people have also learned from it and we've saved people a bit of a google yeah. um but yeah I'm, I'm hoping it's not gonna be too long before we start seeing the swifts because i've seen a swallow this year but i haven't seen i haven't seen yes a i have seen swallows so they are in the swifts are in yeah there, i just haven't I've, seen one on yet. my instagram feed there's been the odd um but post it's normally a real sign that summer's here they've been a bit later this year yeah. because the weather's been <laughs> we've had a cold April's spring been really cold so um and they normally come in last week of april first week of may and it's of only, course we've had a really cold and yeah, wet april it's only we? the last couple of weeks that all the trees have sort of gone nice and green yeah um, and they don't like feeding in the wet weather. In no. fact, they can't feed in the wet weather, so they tend to fly around the, the wet weather and try and find dry areas yeah, to feed. Which so. is obviously what we mentioned, where they yeah. change their yeah. flight behaviour. Yeah. But yeah, so hopefully you'll see them soon. Hope you have enjoyed the episode. Yeah. And uh, we'll be bringing the next episode to you swiftly. <laughs> well, it, will it be swiftly or will it just be on normal? <laughs> It'll be normal. <laughs> <laughs> normal schedule. <laughs> Well, I, think I, you, I think you might have bombed on that one. Mate. Yeah, I just wanted to get one more yeah. in. Okay, I'll, I'll let you off. I'll let All you right, off. we'll swiftly wrap this up. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And like I say, we'll put those links on the uh, on the on the info the on the notes. episode yeah. and show notes. That's that's what I'm trying to say. And uh, we'll catch, we'll you, catch next you next one. time. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>